Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. I'll talk high school football and the UAlbany-Syracuse College football matchup with Gazette sports writer Adam Schinder. And our good friend Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio joins me to look back at week one of the NFL season. First, let's talk about the Union College football team. The Dutchmen are off to a 2-0 start, outscoring their opponents 110-27. Despite not playing last year because of the coronavirus pandemic, the defending Liberty League champion Dutchman look like they haven't missed a beat. On Wednesday, I spoke with Union head coach Jeff Behrman. Well, Jeff, uh, welcome back to the podcast. I know it's been a while since we chatted. Obviously, last year with the pandemic, we didn't really get a chance to chat. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to hook up prior to the season. And I hope you're feeling well. I understand you had a little some voice issues. A little, too much hollering at the players? <laughs> yeah, no, I think just a little bit of allergies and maybe just a little overuse of the voice. But... Uh... Feeling better now. Uh, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely still, still treating it and then uh, getting, getting back to better. Yeah. Well, you guys, we, I wanted, to, I, I wanted to chat with you about obviously before the season. I'm gonna ask you these questions now. Coming back from the pandemic, not playing at all last year, what were your expectations leading into this season? You're coming off winning the Labor League title in 2019, and obviously not playing last year. And but you had the really the majority of the players that were there in 2019 back. So what were the expectations going into uh, training camp and uh, what have you seen so far that's pleased you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, leading into it, um, you know, we, we had some of the, the, the guys returning um, from the 2019 season. We, we did lose some, some other guys, you know, due to graduation, the pandemic and just not, you know, just not, not staying the extra year, which I completely understand, you know, with job opportunities and, their ability to, to move forward in life, um, you know, it was time for them to step away. But, you know, you know, the expectation, you know, really going into preseason was to get some answers on quite a few guys because, you know, you have you had the sophomore, the current sophomore class, you know, their first year of college football was in the middle of the pandemic and it didn't exactly have a normal uh, preparation year for them in terms of on-field preparation so we had to get a lot of answers on those guys and then obviously had a whole new class with the freshmen coming in uh to try to determine again what what their abilities were as well so um needed to get some answers fairly quickly uh really happy with with what we found out from those two groups uh some of those guys are are performing at a high level for us right now um and then really just trying to determine and and uh find out what the chemistry was and, and what the uh what the what the uh the chemistry was gonna be for this team because this team obviously is very different from the team that was on the field in twenty nineteen. When you think of two classes that have graduated, moved on and then two new classes that are just just really honestly in their first three days of college football with classes at the same time. We just started classes here on Monday. Yeah, what what was it like last year for you sitting out the year? What did you did you learn anything about? Uh, what did you do with, with with the time off? Well, I mean, we we as an athletic department, we we uh, we helped a lot around campus uh, in the testing center and, and just monitoring different facilities on campus. So there was a lot of that, but um, it allowed me to focus a little bit more on family uh, during uh, during the fall where. You know, I was able to, to, to travel with my son while he was playing lacrosse and able to actually be through the the heart of his recruitment for, for college lacrosse. So um, if there was a silver lining for me, it was that, which uh, in a normal year, I wouldn't have been able to, to be as involved as I was in that. So that was good. Um, and then, you know, it, I'm, a, I'm a big studier and learner of football so i studied a lot of film i looked at our film and you're always just trying to find different ways and better ways to to do things so it was it was a lot of uh 
you know, research, if you will, and studying to, to try to just, you know, put the program um, in a better, in a better step. Okay, so far in the first two games, the offense has really uh, shined. Uh, are you surprised how many points they scored in the first two games coming off a year without playing? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got some talented players for sure. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I think we've, we've executed fairly well. I guess I wouldn't say we've executed to the level I'd like us to uh, execute at. There's still a lot of improvement that we're trying to – to get to and and, uh, and and practice with, um, so you know we're still trying to work on that. I think you know, like I, I I've t- I've talked to the players you know multiple times, and you know coaches coach players play you know, so it's fun to go out there on Saturdays and watch them play and and uh, and have them them execute and have the success that they're having. What was that first game like uh, a couple of weeks ago? Obviously, you know, in front of fans, the first game you played since 2019. Uh, what was the atmosphere like, and uh, I mean, how did the players react? Well, there was a lot of excitement uh, on their end, for sure, and, and, and excitement from the, from the coaching staff's perspective as well. I mean, when you take a whole year away, I, th- I think guys learn not to take things for granted um, and, uh, you know, to, to certainly – you know, take advantage of, of all of all the opportunities that are placed in front of them. Um, and they were just excited to play to play a football game um, on Saturday. Obviously, it's been a long time coming. Uh, there were a lot of nerves for sure um, across the board. I thought the atmosphere was great here at Frank, you know, Frank Bailey Field at Britannia Stadium. You know, so that was uh, that was exciting. I mean, once. Once you get on the field, at least for me, I mean, I'm pretty pretty much zoned in, so I don't know a lot of what's going on outside of um, of the game. So, but it seemed it seemed from talking to people, it seemed like uh, there was a pretty decent crowd there, and um, there was a lot of excitement. So, so that's good. And the cannon went off a few times, I guess, when he scored 48 points. In yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Who do you have? Who do you have this week, and what's that going to be like? We play Springfield College this week, so I think competition level um, is much much tougher than what we faced in the in the previous two weeks. Um, you know, you're you're facing a a prolific you know triple option offense uh, that changes what you have to do defensively, um, and uh, it really requires your players to be extremely focused on their assignment uh, and their job to make sure that they're getting it done, just based on just based on the option. You know, we've all been around football long enough to know that, you know, it just takes one guy not doing what he's supposed to do and the ball can get out for, for a big game. So, uh, you know, I think it's been a great week of preparation thus far. Um, and then, you know, just as an overall team, Springfield, they're just, they're a big, strong physical team. And uh, that's kind of what, you know, the I guess this will be my fourth time coaching against them and, Every single time we played them, it has been that a big, strong, physical football team that is going to come off the ball and and be really, really aggressive um, towards you. So, you know, we got our work cut out for us for sure on this Saturday. Yeah, uh, and of course, you know, you're the defending Liberty League champions. How do you uh, how do you see the, the the league race shaping up at this point? Well, I think uh, I think you know it's still a little too early to tell, but I. Uh, you know, I think uh, from top to bottom, I, I think uh, it's as strong of a league as there is uh, in the East here right now because, you know, you look at you look at the, the Liberty League teams that played last week, I think the league was undefeated. Uh, every Liberty League team won last week. I think there was only one team that didn't play. That was Buffalo State. They were in their bye week. Um, and there were some, some really good wins there, you know, with, with Ithaca over Brockport. And um, I think St. Lawrence beat Norwich. Not going to know them all, but I know Hobart. Hobart, you know, shut out Mooresville. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of uh, a week two game for them, and so an RPI um, got Stevenson. So, you know, I, I think that the talent level in the league and the, and the coaching level in the league is is top notch right now. And I think there's some really really exciting games to be had here as we get into league play in three weeks. Well, Jeff, appreciate a few minutes. I know you're busy, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Maybe obviously, we have the Dutchman Shoes back uh, later this season, so we'll obviously have you on back uh, when we get towards that. 
Sounds good. I appreciate it, Ken. All right. Good talking to you. Good talking to you. That's Union Head Coach, Football Coach Jeff Bimmer. We'll be back with Adam Schindler of the Gazette. We'll talk some high school football and the UAlbany Syracuse matchup. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the Daily Gazette Sports Newsletter. The newsletter, which comes out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Now, here's Ken. Welcome back to the podcast. It's uh, week two of the uh, high school football season is upon us. Uh, another good slate of games on Friday to talk about that. Plus the initial power rankings of the season for the Daily Gazette. Uh, here's Adam Schinder. Adam, welcome back. Thanks. Glad to be here. Well, you had a chance to see Boston Spa last Friday uh, take care of Colony. Uh, your thoughts about Boston Spa now we'll... we'll yeah, go ahead there and say they're the number one team in the Class A in the wrong ranking. Yeah, Boston Spa has come out very impressively, beaten uh, Class Class AA teams uh, back-to-back weeks uh, in, in Bethlehem and Colony. Really strong running game, very strong defense. Uh, younger players on the team, uh, pretty impressive that they did Friday night uh, with their regular starting quarterback, Andrew Kramer, uh, out with an ankle injury. Uh, their backfield, they're a pretty small team up front. With two really big guys in their backfield, their back, their two running backs both go six foot, around 200, 200 plus pounds. Uh, so an impressive start uh, for the Scotties, and in a kind of jumbled Class A, good start for them. Yeah, Brett Zoli wrote about him in the uh, in Saturday last Saturday's paper and online at DailyGazette.com. He had a great game. Yeah, Blaine Zoller, uh, their their running back and outside linebacker, really carried them on their first big drive of the game, and then right after they scored the touchdown, just made. A really, really beautiful heads-up play to sniff out a, a bubble screen that was intercepted and taken back for a touchdown about as cleanly uh, as he can. And he was a nightmare uh, on both sides for Colony all night. It's a great picture by Eric Miller of that uh, interception for the touchdown. Uh, just look at the uh, determination in Zoller's face as he's running the ball back. Oh, yeah, you could just see and He was just, he knew, you could tell from the moment that he saw the play coming that that was what was going to happen. There was a 25-yard play. There was no one in between him and the end zone. So any other games surprise you from last week? Uh, last week's results, not a ton of surprises. Uh, a lot of, you know, A-double-A uh, crossover games that really kind of went as you'd expect. Uh, kind of surprised a little bit just that Queensbury stuck with Shenandoah for, for a half, but yeah. Shenandoah... Just having the numbers they did, kind of able to overwhelm Queensbury out in the second half, run away with that game 30-6. to six. Uh, Troy Gilderland is a game that would not have been that result if this game was played five and a half months earlier, mm-hmm. uh, with Gilderland really uh, pulling away from a Troy team that's uh, now kind of rebuilding under uh, under former Holy Trinity coach John Barber. Uh, Burn Hills in, in another year might have stuck with Shaker uh, a little bit more, but the Spartans... Uh, their best player, Victor Little, uh, one of the best linemen in the area, maybe the best lineman in the whole area, out for the season, uh, and that's a that's a tough blow for them. Yeah, I watched that game here in the office last week on the Spectre News 1, and Shaker just looked dominant. Yeah, Sh- Shaker was rebuilding, not necessarily rebuilding, uh, but cycling a lot of new players in, brand new quarterback, uh, but looks as impressive as ever for a team that is as consistent as anyone uh, and is probably coming into this year with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder after uh, losing to Gilderland in the uh, in the uh, Class AA championship game last spring. That's a team that really thought they were going to win a, win a Section 2 title. Well, let's take a look at the uh, Week 2 schedule in uh, Class A, I think highlighted by uh, Shenandoah-Gilderland matchup. Yeah, really, really good matchup. Uh, getting a, uh, that, that's a rematch of a very tight Class AA uh, semifinal from last spring, Shenandoah looked very impressive in the second half uh, against against Queensbury, uh, which is Queensbury is always a difficult team uh, to kind of get into a, lo- a late close game with. Uh, so to really turn them turn them 
completely aside in the second half. It's a good, a good way to start things off for the Plainsmen. And uh, Gilderland has a ton of momentum as a program and really, really looked good in and really taking care of Troy last week. And Class A, uh, Troy Burnhills looks like a good matchup. Yeah, Troy Burnhills is an interesting one because it, it's a rematch of last year's uh, Class A championship game, which was an absolute rout uh, for Troy. Both of those teams are very different. Burnhills brings a, a lot more back. Troy basically, I think, has one starter uh, returning between its 22 on either side of the ball. Burnhills, even though they don't have uh, Victor Little, it's a team that has a lot of returning pieces, and you'd expect to see the Spartans uh, get on track this week. Yeah, some other good Class A matchups: Boston Spa, LaSalle, and Columbia Niskayuna. Yeah, Boston Spa, LaSalle is a really interesting game. LaSalle uh, looked very, very good in certain aspects. Uh, were really inconsistent with uh, penalties and turnovers that really cost them in their Week Zero game against CBA. Uh, Boston Spas looked great first two weeks out of the gate. Uh, having seen both of these teams, LaSalle is a team that I think if they play disciplined football uh, is a really, really talented team. They have a ton of speed and uh, some good players up front. They can make some noise. If Boston Spa beats them, that's a sign that this is a Boston Spa team that can really uh, contend for a Section 2 title. Yeah, anything about Columbia Niskayuna? Columbia Niskayuna. Columbia came out had a good win against Saratoga Springs last week. Niskayuna... Uh, actually a playoff-eligible team in Class A this year after a few years of being a, a double-A team playing down. Has looked really, really good. Went out of section, uh, lost to Auburn uh, of Section 3 in Week 1. Came in really just handled Bethlehem in Week 2. Uh, and with the passing attack they've got led by their quarterback, Dan Quinn, that's a team that uh, passing attacks are always difficult to deal with in high school football around here, and they throw the ball as well as anybody. Any other Friday matchups catch your eye? Uh, look at Friday, uh, you know, a couple undefeated teams meeting uh, in Class B, uh, Ravina and Gloversville. Gloversville done well to get uh, a couple of wins after a really struggle spring. Ravina is a team that is always kind of in the mix, and uh, they'll be looking uh, potentially to, to do something this year. Class C, Cobleskill versus uh, Hoosick Falls Tamarack. Those are two teams that are probably battling for those spots uh, behind a really good Schuylerville team, a top Class C. And then uh, Class D, uh, two of the probably three or four best teams meet up, Greenwich and Stillwater. Uh, Greenwich has a really good returning quarterback in Jesse Kuzmich. Stillwater was a super young team uh, in the spring that really has a lot to build on after they lost pretty much the entirety of the core of their fantastic 2019 team. There are a few games on Saturday, and Schenectady finally gets to kick off. Yeah, Schenectady's had to wait a couple of weeks, and uh, not an easy opener. They get to be at home. Uh, first game on the brand-new Larry Mulvaney Field, so I'm sure the, the Schenectady faithful are very, very excited for that. But Shaker is just a monster first opponent. And then uh, the other game's in Class B, and it's a rematch of the what was essentially the de facto championship game, Shalmont and Glens Falls. Both those teams have rebuilt a lot. Uh, but there are still some familiar names in there. Uh, Glens Falls has a terrific running back in Griffin Waddell, and uh, Shalmont is as consistent a program as there is in this area. Yeah, the Mahasa Hudson Falls, I mean, Mahasa had a nice comeback victory against Scotia Glenville last yeah, week. Yeah, good, good win for Mahasa just to get on track. Again, a, lot, a team that's uh, rebuilt a lot after they lost their, their real standout, Jake DeGear. Hudson Falls is a team that uh, has given up a lot of points out of the gate, so this will be a big chance for... Uh, from Mahanasen. If they can get to 2-0, oh, it's uh, you know they're going to be a chance to be a playoff team this year. Yeah. Well, the uh, power rankings, which appeared in Wednesday's uh, Daily Gazette and is online at dailygazette.com, the rankings are voted on by a panel of Daily Gazette sports editor Michael Kelly, uh, Adam Schindler, along with Stan Hootie and Paul Wager, and freelance writers Jim Schultz and Will Springstead. Uh, we have a tie at the top of Class AA between Gildan and Shaker. Yeah, it's uh, so far... Both those teams one game out, one impressive win. Uh, they're going to be the top two contenders right now. CBA is probably the wild card at number three. Uh, two good wins over two Class A teams to start. Haven't a lot of point yet. Uh, and if you know anything about Coach Bob, Bobby Burns' teams, they play phenomenal defense. Uh, Jalen Riggins, who was probably Troy's best defensive player last year, transferred over to CBA uh, to play for his former coach. And then uh, Shen at number four. Uh, they're a team that's Probably uh, going to be an interesting team to look at throughout the season. And then uh, the bottom half of, of Class AA is kind of a jumble. Uh, we've got Schenectady in that number five spot right now, and it's probably largely on the fact that they haven't played yet. And uh, the three teams behind them, uh, Colony, Saratoga Springs, and Bethlehem, all of them have had pretty rough starts. Yeah. You know, look at Class A right now. It's Balls of Spa on top. 
Uh, Burnt Hills, even though they lost, still number two, which I kind of surprised because especially with Amsterdam winning its first game of the season. Yeah, Burnt Hills uh, gets number two uh, for a couple of reasons. One is his reputation. Two is they had the best loss of any of the Class A teams. And, you know, if you think that Shaker is the best or second best team in Class AA, uh, a, a, you know, a 3-4 touchdown loss uh, like Burnt Hills had is not... Uh, is not a world ender. Uh, impressive win for Amsterdam. Uh, first win for Coach John, John Homich. Uh, went out through the ball all over the place. Uh, five touchdown passes for their quarterback, Jai Vallon, in the first half. Plus, they had 250-plus rushing yards. Uh, it's a team that uh, has had up-and-down times. It's be really interesting to see. They're off this week. They have a bye. So... By the time next week plays, some teams will have played four games. They'll have played two. Yeah. And then you got Niski Yunus looked, looked very good at a one-on-one start. Queensberry is 0-1. It's just a big, big jumble. There's probably eight or nine teams that you could legitimately consider because we haven't gotten in at all to Columbia, LaSalle, or Averill Park in that group. And Class B uh, headed by Shalmont, uh, barely uh, edging a Rubina Coyman's Selkirk. Yeah, Shalmont's uh, gone and, you know, started out, you know, the way you expect him to with a win. Uh, that's the five undefeated teams uh, at the top of that class. And again, a lot of, a lot of balance. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get in Class B with a lot of rebuilding teams, a lot of teams that have come in and out of that class. Scotia's down this year. Mahonison's down in B this year. Uh, it's just a big kind of mishmash, and that'll really sort itself out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Over in Class C, we got Skylerville as a uh, unanimous pick. Yeah, this was probably the, the easiest pick for everyone. Skylerville was vastly better than just about everyone uh, in Fall 2, and... Came out two straight wins. Didn't didn't have uh, the blow-away performance against Hoosick Falls Tamarack. Uh, but they are, until someone really challenges them, uh, they're going to be the unquestioned number one at their good. Uh, I mean, big start for Mechanicville against uh, Corinth Hadley-Lazerne. Just 62-0 in the game that was just an absolute runaway. Cobleskill uh, had a win in week one. Earned a forfeit uh, this past week when uh, Fonda Fultonville had a COVID situation. It's pushing their week two game back to a Monday game against Corinth. And then uh, Hudson... Rebounded from their uh, their week one loss with a with a with a big win in week two. And in Class D, uh, Greenwich uh, and Warrensburg, uh, North Warren, Bolton. That's, that's a handful. It's a lot of schools. That is a lot of schools, probably covering a lot of square mileage yeah. out there up north. Yeah, uh, they share the, the number one spot. Yeah, those two teams have both gone out uh, impressively. Started uh, Warrensburg, North Warrensburg. When I believe they were still just Warrensburg, is your most recent uh, Section Two champion from 2019. Greenwich is always a contender, and then uh, you go beyond that class. Cambridge Salem lost to Ravina week one, uh, or yeah, lost to Ravina week one, came back pretty impressively, beat Canada Harry Fort play in this past week, and then you got to a bunch of teams that haven't played yet. Stillwater uh, didn't wasn't able to get out on the field last week. Chatham hasn't played yet. Those teams are both teams that you would always expect to be in the mix. Yeah. Well, let's turn our attention to college football now. And Adam covers the uh, Albany Great Danes for the for the Gazette. And the Danes off to an 0-2 start. They face a really big test Saturday playing uh, at Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. Uh, Albany coming off a disappointing loss to Rhode Island, 16-14. A couple of bad snaps on the field. Or not bad snaps. Not bad. No, 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 yeah, sorry. Great, bad, great, bad, head coach Greg Cattuso yeah, made it pretty clear yeah. uh, in the aftermath. Yeah. Those snaps were on, those uh, botched plays were both on Holder, yeah. uh, Brandon Zanelov. Yes, I, I, I correct myself. But uh, what does this game mean for, for you all? I mean, I mean there's str- I mean, two straight losses going up a Syracuse team that beat Ohio in the opener but uh, struggled last Saturday against Rutgers. Yeah, this game, in the grand scheme of things, obviously it means nothing. But for you Albany team that really needs something positive, uh, they need to go into this game and at the very least show they've got uh, some fight against an FCS team. Uh, Syracuse, the, the problem for you Albany is that Syracuse desperately needs to win this game. They had a terrible performance offensively uh, this past week against Rutgers. Uh, put up just seven points uh, in their first game in front of home fans in two years. The first game in the, uh, the renovated Carrier Dome. So this Syracuse team, all of a sudden, is after a 1-10 tw- uh, 2020, is facing a lot of pressure uh, on their head coach, Dino Babers. So UAlbany is going in really needing to just get some positive stuff going, especially on the offensive end. Uh, how, yeah, I mean, maybe winning the game is not 
that important, but how important is it for them to at least play well and execute their plays and you know, get back to uh, when they get back to CAA play? Oh, it is it is vitally important because their schedule, which has been tough to start, gets no easier. They've got a bye week coming up after that. And then the three games after that are at Delaware, at William & Mary, before finally coming home to Villanova. Uh, those six games, it's probably the six games to start are probably five of the six toughest games. Five of them are probably the five toughest games on this team's schedule. Things open up in the back five games of their season, but a loss here, and if they don't carry any momentum into this bye week, Delaware is a top five team in the country. William and Mary is probably a make or break point uh, for the, for this team, and then Villanova coming back home it will be another really tough game. Villanova is going to be a top ten team in the country at that point. This is a team that could be staring at zero and six. The Rhode Island game was a really important game for them, so they need to go out there and give themselves some confidence heading into uh, their bye week. What will it take for the Great Danes to upset the Orange? Uh, it's going to take the first thing. It's going to take is establishing a running game that has pretty much it was pretty much non-existent, uh, with the exception of one drive against Rhode Island. Carl Mofor, uh, who is a preseason All-American, one of the best running backs uh, at the FBS level, had about 40 yards over his first six quarters of the season, averaging probably less than two yards a carry. Got himself back on track a little bit. They need to be able to, one, control the clock. Because Syracuse is going to have a little bit, a lot more big playability uh, than you Albany does. And two, they need to be able to stop teams from teeing off on the UAlbany offensive line and quarterback Jeff Undercuffler in the second half. Because in the second half of both games this year, when teams know that UAlbany can't run, they bring pressure, and so far it's led to a lot of sacks and key points. Adam will be covering the game for the Daily Gazette on uh, Saturday. Where, where on Twitter can the people find you? I am at Adam underscore Schinder, S-H-I-N-D-E-R. Well, we'll do this again next week. We'll talk high school football, and then we'll you know, get your thoughts on that game. Very, very excited. All right, that's Adam Schinder of the Gazette. Coming up, ESPN Radio's Freddie Coleman, and I break down week one of the NFL season. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast and our good friend from ESPN Radio, Freddie Coleman, joins us now to talk about the uh, first week of the NFL season. Freddie, how are you, my friend? Everything Everything's good. Can't complain. It's uh, especially since my Eagles uh, throttled the Falcons on Sunday unexpectedly. <laughs> well, especially when Jalen Hurts looked good and Devontae Smith looked good, and I'm sure people would think the Eagles look kind of concerning offensive system they're going to put in place. But hey, you'll take a week one any victory you can get, my man. Yeah. So let's look at the week. One. It was a wild week one. They starting off last Thursday with the Cowboys and Buccaneers with. Uh, Tom Brady driving him down the field for the game-winning field goal and ends with a wild overtime game Monday night with uh, Las Vegas and Baltimore. Las Vegas looked like they had won the game and the replay turned, overturned a touchdown, ended up not getting a touchdown out of that interception and ended up getting a touchdown anyway. It's, it's the ultimate parody when you think about the National Football League game because how many times the NFL has always tried to stress the people that any team is capable of getting to the playoffs and winning a championship. And to me, there's still two perfect teams in the NFL, and those teams are Tampa Bay and Kansas City, the two teams that played for the Super Bowl last year. But you look at the Cleveland Browns, that gave Kansas City all they could handle again, had a halftime lead, but left that getaway. The Ravens-Raiders game that you mentioned last night, the Ravens have a 14-point lead, and the Raiders fall all the way back and win it overtime on a team that nobody wanted to win that football game. But the Saints did to the Packers and Jameis Winston going for five touchdown passes. The Miami-New England game that felt like a 
playoff game at one point for the Miami Dolphins. You had nine of the 16 games this weekend, Ken, that were decided by eight points or less. That's the ultimate parity because the key people interested whether you have a fantasy football team where you put a wager in the game or you're just trying to root for your team against somebody else's team. Yeah, I think I saw where the 12 of the road underdog or the under 12 of the underdogs actually covered, which I think was a, a first. I mean, that tells you how crazy it was. Well, you look at it more than ever before because teams are playing playing younger quarterbacks more, so there's, there's going to be that residual in terms of that learning curve. You have five of the top 15 picks when it comes to quarterbacks this season that had to score the through for touchdown pass on Sunday involving those five guys. So the talent is so evenly spaced out that one play or even one tremendous player can make a difference. And if that player has an off-the-hook game, it's kind of hard to slow that player down. Look at Kyler Murray and David Harris on the Cardinals. Their defensive challenge on the other side of the Kyle Murray of that team. More than ever before, you have dynamite players that can be dynamite players. Now they're going to get a lot of attention, then other people step up, or you're not able to stop them, and then you wind up on the losing side of a game when it's all said and done. Yeah. Uh, let's t- Before we go into the other games, let's talk about the, the, the Jets and the Giants. First of all, I mean, Jets, yeah, Zach Wilson looked okay. Uh, you know, you know, I didn't think the NFL, I talked with Dennis Wozak Jr. from the Associated Press last week. And it's, to me, it's funny. I think the NFL has a sense of humor with the way they had the schedule opening week with Zach Wilson, the quarterback of the future for the Jets, against the quarterback of the past, Sam Darnold. I mean, and Darnold ends up winning the game. But uh, your thoughts about Zach Wilson? Well, we know it's not going to have any kind of personnel around this year. Now, I know that you have Elijah Moore and they bring a couple of free agents, but this is still a team that maybe is a couple of years away. But the one thing that you can say about Zach Wilson, no matter what the score is, he's always going to compete. It could have been very easy being down that early and being frustrated. Nope, he's been battling. And even he and Coach Robert Salah said, no matter what the score is going to be, you're going to have to beat us. We're not going to beat ourselves. And yeah, they couldn't block the Carolina Panthers in the first half. But once they were able to figure that out a little bit and help the running game, then we saw the first of Zach Wilson's all about from the Jets and might be back to number two and not anybody else. Making throws out of the pocket, making throws inside of the pocket, buying time with his legs. If that running game can come along a little bit, even without Mekhi Beckton, who's going to be out with the knee injury for the next four to six weeks, they have a guy that you can see why they believe in him and that he's going to not just raise his level, Ken, but raise anybody else's level. So I'm not surprised he lost the Carolina Panthers. But it looked like that game's going to be 30 to nothing or 28 to 23. Zach Wilson with that would not let that team go back there and that defense they would step up and make some plays in the second half. Meanwhile, the team that plays at the same stadium as the uh, Jets, the New York Giants, uh, I don't know, Freddie. I mean, uh, Daniel Jones, another fumble. Joe Judge with an inexplicable challenge on a scoring play when he should know that this all scoring plays reviewed ends up losing a timeout. I mean, they get a meaningless touchdown and make the score closer against Denver, but there, there are some issues with this Giants team that uh, – don't could really make the for another long season for them. Well, no one should be surprised because to me, Ken, that was Daniel Jones in a nutshell. Where he can make a play with his legs and make a play with his arm. When he makes that throw, you say, "Wow, that has something on that throw." And then he has that fumble, which has been a hallmark of his young career with the New York Giants. And those are the kind of things I believe that. You can't coach that out of a player if you're careful. You can talk about ball security, this and this, but when the game gets that way and everything's flying around 100 miles an hour, you always have to worry that that player's going to revert to the same habits that cost you for the position or cost you the play when it comes to the New York Giants. And so that was Daniel Jones in a nutshell. And as much as we were banging on the offensive line, I wasn't worried about them pass protecting. That's a lot easier to do. But if you have Saquon Barkley on your team, and they didn't even think about running an eight-man front to Denver Broncos. They said, we're going to have four down linemen, three linebackers, we don't believe your offensive line can block us, and they didn't. Saquon Barkley didn't even average two yards per carry for the New York Giants. So that issue that time and time again that Dave Gettleman has addressed has not worked out for the Giants out in free agency or the NFL draft. So I went on with the bat of the line, Joe Judge, to feel pressure trying to give his team a spark and then not getting the right kind of information and intel before he decided to challenge that play against the Denver Broncos. You're right, this is going to be a long season potentially if Daniel Jones not figured out if that run blocking does not get better for the New York Giants and Joe Judge and also Dave Gettleman feel that pressure of players not producing no matter who they brought in at free agency or in the NFL draft. And it's a short week for the Giants. They have to play uh, the Washington football team on Thursday night. And Washington has an issue. No uh, Fitzmagic for a while. You're injured his hip. It's going to be Heineke uh, taking snaps. So I mean, Thursday's game could be very ugly or very exciting. 
Well, if you watch the football team fan, Taylor Heineke played pretty well in the playoff game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where he had the best quarterback performance of anybody. He outplayed Drew Brees, he outplayed Aaron Rodgers, he outplayed Patrick Mahomes in that great playoff run that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had. So it's not as if they brought in a, a, a green person to play quarterback. They got a guy that's in an NFL starter for a couple of games and play in a playoff game. And they clearly understand that letting one get away in their minds. Those are the words of Washington, not my words, against the Los Angeles Chargers. They know you can ill afford to go to O2, even in the NFC, at least in a 17-game season. O2 really puts you behind that proverbial A-ball, and you got to try to figure your way out. It still is a winnable division. But you're also playing the NFC West this year, which means you're playing the Chargers, you're playing the Chiefs, you're playing the Raiders, and you're also playing the Denver Broncos. All four of those teams were undefeated in week one. So you're thinking, okay, those teams are going to be a little bit better than anybody could have anticipated. But last thing you need, especially the division game of the short week, is going down 0-2. We hate to say that game two is important in the NFL, but when it comes to Josh trying to find some confidence and watch that overcome the injury to Ryan Fitzpatrick, that's how imperative this game is on Thursday night. Yeah, I, I think the most shocking game of the week, it had to be the you know, Saints just pummeling the Packers 38-3. Uh, you know the Packers. No, the, sorry, the Saints were you know displaced because of the hurricane. Had a, you know playing a game, the, their home game in Jacksonville. You would think they've had a lot of distractions, but of course, you know Aaron Rodgers was the major distraction in the offseason for the Packers with you know, his whining about you know, wanting more say in the player personnel, and uh, he didn't get the Jeopardy hosting job, so maybe that was weighing on his mind. But the Packers just looked awful on Sunday, and. I mean, this could this be a season-long malaise for this for this team? No, because the Saints outplayed them, and this I want to feel about the Saints that I thought they were going to win that game, not thirty to three, of course. But I said they were going to rally around the fact that so many people were displaced by because of Hurricane Ida, they were going to play for them. So no one should be surprised that Saints won this game because I said before the season, if Jameis Winston can play like that, you don't expect him to throw five touchdown passes every game. But if he can be consistent with his decision-making, not put his team in the short field and have those kind of plays that flip the temperature in the room, for lack of a better term, then that team team could be a very dangerous team in the NFC. And I'm with Aaron Rodgers in terms of it's one game. You still got 16 to play. Yeah, the Saints got the best of them, but no one is really expecting Aaron Rodgers to have this malaise carry over for the rest of the season. I'm not buying that. And nothing says slump buster playing the Detroit Lions team that will fight and scratch, but they they don't have any kind of talent to deal with the Green Bay Packers. So I believe they're going to be fine. But as bad as the Packers were and the Saints had a lot to do with that, to me, I think the worst performance of the week, it was Tennessee. I thought for sure that that Tennessee Titans team, adding Julio Jones, you got Ryan Tannehill, you got Derrick Henry running the ball, they were going to be the more physical team against the Arizona Cardinals that have not been known for physicality. And they got dominated on both sides of the football. At least the Packers are playing sort of okay defensively beginning and then everything got away from them. The Tennessee Titans were being tough to finish by a team that's not known for physical football. They allowed Kyler Murray to run around and make plays. They allowed Chandler Jones to dominate them. So in my opinion, as bad as the Packers were, go fix that. The Tennessee Titans, that was a lot worse than the Packers because nobody saw that coming from Tennessee as much. We did not see the Packers losing to the Saints that way. Well, one of those uh, suicide pools I play, uh, that was one of those weak ones. You just didn't know. There wasn't really an obvious choice out there, but I thought, okay, Tennessee looked good, and I thought I picked Mm -hmm. Tennessee to go over Arizona, and I'm I'm, I'm now in the second chance pool. Yeah, you need a second chance, Paul. Think about this. As good as the Arizona Cardinals look, that may be the best division in the NFL. You got the NFC West because the Cardinals did not miss the playoffs by much last year. San Francisco's a beat-up team, but they played everybody tough. Seattle made the playoffs. And, of course, you got the team that wound up getting out of that division, the Los Angeles Rams, that upgraded the quarterback position, Matthew Stafford. All four of those teams went undefeated this weekend, week one of the National Football League. And those are going to just be bloodthirsty bludgeon kind of games involving those four teams in NFC West. I can't wait till matchups happen in that division. And it doesn't matter who plays who. They all can't stand each other. They all hate each other. And they all want to beat each other. That's going to be a lot of fun football in the NFC West. And we got to go to that this weekend. All four of those teams winning games out of their own division. So when do the Urban Meyer to USC rumors start? <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, <laughs> I mean Monday, from that standpoint, the minute that USC five played out, then here's the deal. It, it seems to me that there's too much smoke around an urban mind that 
I've, I've been reading, I've been hearing in terms of being so locked in the losses and everybody on eggshells and playing Trevor Lawrence too long and guys too long in preseason. And I said to myself, Ken, I said, I don't know if anybody expected anything different. I'm not talking about in terms of what we've been able to hear, but Urban Meyer's been a hard-driving guy, hard-charging guy. He's about to lose more games by week nine, week ten than all the years he lost at the Ohio State University as a head coach. And those kind of guys that are really driven – it's really hard for them to accept that kind of losing that way because when you're Urban Meyer, if you had any problems on defense or offense, you can go recruit a five-star quarterback, a five-star defensive end. You can't do that in the National Football League. you got to coach players not only on the field but off the field when you don't have power in church and state. And I wondered how Urban Meyer is going to deal with the fact that he may be the head coach in the face of this franchise, but he's on the same power structure level as a player in the National Football League, especially a player on that team. And if guys are not buying in or dialing you out and it may be happening soon, he can't go out and recruit somebody else and move on from those players. That's not how that works in the National Football League. So I don't believe it's going to go to USC, and maybe USC doesn't want to be brought to Urban Meyer. I'm just hearing way too much of that kind of negative smoke around him that leads me to believe that at a certain point, when does Urban Meyer realize that the NFL is not for him and how much longer he's going to put himself in that position and be unhappy and everybody else be unhappy with the Jacksonville Jaguars? How do you think Trevor Lawrence looked? He looked okay. I mean, three interceptions, yeah, you don't want that, but three touchdown passes, that's what's going to happen because he was a man that had the power church and stayed in college. He's going to a team that last year won one game in 16 games. Of course, he's going to be in a rebuilding situation. And playing the Houston Texans, a team that is a dysfunctional organization, that didn't help as well when you lose that football team 37-21. to 21. But I wasn't surprised when I saw that Trevor Lawrence. I knew he was going to make some plays that were going to be wild plays. And there are going to be other plays you're going to see, like, what are you thinking about? Because he doesn't have any kind of personnel around him. And I'm hoping that a lot of stuff happening around his coach is not going to affect him because he seems to be pretty unflappable when it comes to any situation that could affect his play. He was talk about how frustrated he was by the throws that he should have made that he didn't make. He didn't talk about anything else. So that shows me he's going to keep his focus on the football field. But when you're part of the face of an organization, one of the faces that they believe is going to be a face in the National Football League, you have to hope that all that stuff is not set back his progress, not just for this year, but in the coming years being a part of the Jacksonville Jaguars organization. Well, the team that beat them, uh, the Texans, I mean, that's a team that's been team turmoil since the Deshaun Watson accusations came down, and Tyrod Taylor looked great. I mean, it wow. probably made people forget about Deshaun Watson at least for one game, but uh, how surprising were the Texans? Cause that's a team I think a lot of people expected if they win one or two games, they might be lucky this year. Yeah, and it wasn't surprising in terms of the way that they won because in the NFL you got two terrible teams facing against each other unless we had a tie can. That was going to happen. Yeah. But it's the way they looked. They looked like the team that was determined to show people, yeah, Deshaun Watson is not here, but we still got professionals in this locker. We still got professionals as a head coach and David Culley. They went out there and played as if they were determined to prove to everybody that they belong in the National Football League. And all that distraction that has been talked about was not going to affect them on the football field. They had the right kind of game plan. They played fast. They played tough. Tyrod Taylor was making plays and trusting his wide receivers. The running game was more than enough against a Jacksonville team that we know is not going to be any good. And if any team deserves any kind of good news, when they've been the worst one organization in North American sports the last 18 months, if anybody could use that, it was the players and coaches of the Houston Texans. The Deshaun Watson situation, we know it's not going to go away, even though he's not part of the football team. But I give him a lot of credit with all this going on. He has not been a distraction. He has not gotten in the way of this Houston Texans organization of players preparing for games and getting ready for games. He's done everything he can, can to help Tyron Taylor and not be a nuisance that could be an even bigger problem for the Houston Texans. Well, we mentioned at the top of this uh, interview here about the you know, Cowboys and Buccaneers. We haven't really talked about much, but the fact Dak Prescott returned and looked like he hadn't skipped a beat despite that injury, uh, leg injury he suffered last year. I know a lot of people were talking about the shoulder and he really didn't you know, see much action, I think, if at all, in, in the preseason. But it looked like uh, he was in midseason form on uh, thir- last Thursday night. I think about this, Ken. They would have won that ball game if C.D. Lamb had not had three drop passes in that ball game. His stats would look even better than over 400 yards passing and three touchdowns. And if Greg Zerline did not miss a makeable field goal from 31 yards away and an extra point, I can't even imagine what that narrative would have sounded like going on the road to Tom Brady's house and coming out with a victory. And Dak Prescott told everybody who was somebody, Ken, that he was going to be right and ready for week one, even though he did not have any preseason action. He was accurate. He was on target. He was making some serious, serious throws against the 
very good Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. The offensive line, even without Zach Bond, gave him a good amount of protection. He had a clean, po- a clean pocket and a clean sideline to look for wide receivers. So this Cowboys team, if they play like that, because they're not going to play anybody on their schedule as talented as Tampa Bay. Now, the Chargers can play. Justin Herbert is no joke. But they're not in the same category as Tampa Bay. But they continue to play like that. I don't think there's anybody in NFC East that's going to be able to play with them. That be, that means that's a winnable division. And they've been able to beat a team that a lot of people don't think they can beat because they have the Pages later on this year as well. So that's a team that they play like that. And they're going to run the ball a little bit more and keep getting a little bit better on defense because, remember, they did force four turnovers in that game against Tampa Bay. If they can do that, all of a sudden, any concern that we had about Dak Prescott may get lower and lower and go further and further away if they play like what we saw Thursday night against Tampa Bay. Yeah, uh, the Sunday night game we saw Matthew Stafford look like a, an elite quarterback. He one of his best games of his career, uh, making look so far making look like Trey was a good trade for the uh, Rams. Well, he's an elite quarterback. He just was with an organization that was not elite that didn't put the right pieces around him with the Detroit Lions. And the biggest question about him leaving Detroit and going to Los Angeles was, was it Matthew Stafford all those years holding the organization and back the other way around? And that's it's the other way around because that guy has played at an elite level without a lot of help around him. Same for Calvin Johnson making a couple of playoff appearances. For the first time in his NFL career, he knows what it's like to go into a game as a prohibited favorite just by every game they're going to play. And you play like it because we know the running game is going to be there to help him. Sean McVay is a masterful play caller, so he's got a quarterback that is not a play in his playbook that they can't use in their passing game. They can go deep, they can go intermediate, they can go short. More importantly, they got a guy that's going to be an accurate quarterback and a guy that is not going to lose his religion when there's going to be any kind of pressure around him. Now, that Rams offensive line did a great job. I forgot the Cleo Mack play for the Chicago Bears. That's how pretty bad yeah. Stafford was on Sunday. They did an outstanding job. But now Sean McVay has a guy that he can go into a game and say, Nothing is going to keep me from dialing up plays because we have a quarterback and a running game and a stout group of wide receivers that can really make this work the way I believe it should work with Matthew Stafford at quarterback and Jared Goff at Detroit. I got to ask you about um, Carson Wentz, the former Eagles quarterback now with the Colts, and it looked like he had the same issues uh, in that game uh, against Seattle that he did with Philadelphia, just you know, turnovers, getting sacked. Uh, but you think you think Frank Reich can um, – Get Carson Wentz back to uh, the 2017 form. Well, I'm not. I'm not concerned, Ken, about him getting him back to the 2017 form. I want to see what he's going to do going forward in 2021 with Carson Wentz because. If we're worried about, or if you're an, if you're an Indianapolis Colts fan worried about getting Carson back in 2017, then to me that's the wrong approach. If you're Frank Reich, it's got to be about I got to make this guy the best quarterback for this football team because I can't take those players from back in Philadelphia when he was going to be the MVP for he tore up his ACL and Nick Foles comes in and win their first World Championship since 1960. To me, it can't be about that with Frank Reich. It's got to be about hey Carson. When everyone back on to Philadelphia, I don't want you to talk about that. That can't affect you here. you got to be a better quarterback for this football team because you got a running game, you got wide receivers, and you got a defense. Dude, this is on you. Do you want to be that guy where people say, man, he had it in Philadelphia, but he couldn't overcome himself? Do you want to be that guy? So it can't be about looking back and saying, we need to see that crossing once in 2017. Uh uh-huh. It's got to be, what kind of crossing once are we going to have to see in 2021 with a brand new organization, different circumstances, different players, and a different head coach? To me, it's not about the past. It's got to be about the present and the future when it comes to crossing once. How he's going to be able to overcome that so people don't bring up the past anymore about whether it was good whether it was bad when he was in Philadelphia. You can listen to Freddie Coleman along with his partner Ian Fitzsimmons uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to uh, 1 on uh, ESPN Radio. And Freddie, it's uh, great to catch up with you. And tell people again where you can, they can follow you on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow me on Twitter at Coleman ESPN, also on Instagram, Instagram excuse me, at the Coleman Experience. Uh, we enjoy it. I enjoy your tweets and uh, everything. And it's, it's uh, good to catch up with you, Freddie. And we'll talk again soon. My pleasure, Ken. You take care. You're welcome, brother. And take care. You too, Freddie. That's Freddie Coleman. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast. I'll have the winners in the You Pick Up contest as well as the auto racing contest in just a moment. car season is here and it's time to play the daily gazette's auto racing contest go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account 
the fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. to wrap up the podcast the week one winner in the daily gazette's you pick em football contest is anthony merritt of amsterdam anthony wins a 100 shop right gift card congratulations anthony the vip winner is andrew krauts of glenville beverage the week 27 winner in the daily gazette's auto racing contest is bruce schnell of schenectady bruce wins a 50 grocery gift card congratulations bruce the VIP winner is Nick Playtell of Grand Premier Tires. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of each contest. The You Pick'em winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette, while the Auto Racing Contest winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play in either contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the link for contests and promotions. The NFL season has kicked off, and that means you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and TV listings. I had a rough opening week going 7-9. and nine. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Jeff Behrman, Adam Schinder, and Freddie Coleman for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I am Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.